Thank you. Brilliant. It's great to uh, be with you. Great to be looking at Romans um, chapter 8. Over this term, we've done uh, 5 through to 8. Last year, we did uh, chapters 1 through to um, 4. I think I've been given uh, among the, the most glorious verses in the Bible. Um, so, so very, very excited um, to be unpacking it with you. Um, last week I had the privilege of being in India uh, with Steve Young. We went for two purposes. Um, the first reason was to stand with the Life Church in Mumbai um, as they appointed um, someone into eldership. So if we're okay, just to pop that. No, the other picture, if possible. Brilliant. You can see Mr. Young there, Steve Young, um, uh, uh, on the end there on the right. And uh, then you can see uh, Thomas and Rishma. Rishma is the one in the uh, amazing golden sari. And we appointed uh, Thomas into eldership. Um, Praveen and Jennifer, uh, Praveen leads the church. He's been the only elder for 10 years. And so it was great uh, to be there uh, with them uh, for that day, which is absolutely uh, wonderful. And uh, we also wanted to be with them in this time, um, just as they're, they're, they're sort of coming to a sort of a, a fresh season, they're seeking, they're uh, asking God for what the future holds for them, and uh, they've been thinking a lot about that. And so it gave me and Steve an opportunity to sit down with them as elders and uh, just talk about the plans, the exciting plans they've got for the future. Um, how can we partner with them more effectively? Is there more that we can do together um, than we have been so far? So we've just found it a really fruitful and helpful time. Actually, if we can have the other picture up as well, that'd be great. Just gives you a bit of an idea of church on Sunday. Um, uh, this, is, this is where they gather. It's in the open air, which is absolutely brilliant for about nine months of the year, not quite so good in monsoon season. Uh, they find that Sunday attendance drops somewhat uh, when that happens. But uh, uh, absolute joy to be with them, worshipping God and uh, just uh, enjoying him together. So thank you for your prayers. We really, really value that. Do please keep praying for them um, as well. And we are, we are working very hard to try and get Praveen and Jennifer with us next year uh, so they can come and serve us and bless us uh, in that time. Brilliant. Last week, uh, Sam preached about the work of the Spirit and adoption. And that very last verse that he looked at, the first half of the verse was absolutely wonderful. If I'm totally honest, the second half of the verse I would have preferred if it wasn't there. Can we put up the first half of the verse, if that's possible? This is the last verse, I think, that uh, Sam touched upon. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and all of us can sort of respond with a hearty amen. Yes, that's true. We like that. Um, and then it sort of tails off a little bit. If we can put on the second half, that would be great. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, I don't like suffering. I've not been through some of the battles or many of the battles that, that you have been through. Haven't faced the obstacles that you have, but from my experience, I don't like it. It causes emotions of sadness, depression, anxiety, fearful stress, anger, tiredness to well up. I don't know if any of you can relate to this when you're going through seasons of Suffering. If I'm honest, I will probably do near enough anything I can to reduce it. It comes for various ways. It comes through various ways, whether it's sickness, challenges at work, family problems, 
money issues, persecution, internal struggles, bereavement, unfulfilled dreams. And I know for some of you, you've been living with it for decades. For others of you, you have been facing it only for a short period of time, but, but it had immense pain attached to it. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. You're living with it because of something that you've done, but often is the case. It just rushes in a bit like a thief. You were not expecting it. It shouldn't be there, but you are living with it. The passage that we're going to look at communicates something of the now and not yet of this age. It communicates something of the wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have for the future, and yet is very real in the fact that actually, though, in the middle of it, we walk along with suffering there right alongside, even though we would prefer for it not to exist. We've got a wonderful salvation, but we haven't received it fully. There's more when Christ returns. We've received something partially, we will then receive it fully. So we're going to look at the whole subject of walking through suffering with hope. We're going to look at what the Apostle Paul speaks about out of this second half of Romans chapter 8. Um, if I'm honest, it's a bit of a mission. I think I, I could have done half a dozen preaches on it. Um, but we're, we're going to look to go through it, hopefully at a good pace, um, which I want to be helpful to us all. As we walk through this age, as we walk through this world, the Apostle Paul lines out three different reference points for us. He, he, he lines out first, where are we heading? What is our future hope? What is our destination? When I, um, uh, uh, I shared recently, when I climbed Snowden recently, I wanted to know where the trig point was. I wanted to know where the top is because that's where I'm heading. I want to make sure that my path is going the right direction. So the first, first sort of area is, is our future glory. The second one is our pre- that the present work of the Spirit. I have one that walks alongside me the Holy Spirit, and then the last thing that gives us confidence as we're walking through this life of suffering and at times difficulty is the past acts of God in Christ. I look back over my shoulder and I realise how far God has already taken me, what he's already done, and that gives me confidence for the future. Let me pray um, before we actually read the Bible together. Um, We're going to be picking it up in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, but let's just pray. Lord, I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, please would you come alongside and uh, help me? Please would you help me to communicate these deep mysteries of the faith well? I ask you, Lord God, that you would uh, help me to be clear and concise and aware of what you're doing in the room. And I ask you for each one of us, for our hearts to be open, for our minds to be alert. And I pray particularly for those that are walking through real difficulties at the moment, that they know a double portion of your grace this morning. I ask you, Lord God, that they'll be able to access just maybe one or two truths this morning and they will live for them. They will be anchor points, points of strength and help for them. Lord God, would you be with us during the preaching of your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to try and have a slurp of tea. I'll move it away from the electrical equipment because I'll kick it over for certain. 
So let's have a look at this first uh, reference point, future glory. It's something that we don't consider as much as we should uh, in this church or, or actually in this life, in this age that we're in. Let's pick it up. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is no hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The Apostle Paul starts by comparing, and he, he compares the very real pain of trials and sufferings that we face in this present age, but he compares it with the future glory that will be received, will be received by us. It's going to be revealed to us. And he says there is a groaning in this age. There's a groaning in creation and there's a groaning within ourselves. When we went to Wales recently, um, uh, the boys, after about 25 minutes, asked, Are we there yet? Um, we said, No, we're not quite there yet. Um, there was a groaning from the back of the car because this journey that they were on was going on too long. They wanted it to end. They wanted to get to the destination. They wanted to get to the hope of glory. Um, Wales isn't probably quite the hope of glory, but you know what I mean in that. When I was coming back from India, um, we got, I got on the plane at three o'clock in the morning and I was so tired, um, I stretched out my uh, legs because I got a seat with extra leg room. Um, actually, I'll tell you a story. Well, I'll tell you the story about that, actually. I, I was... My charm worked at the um, check-in desk and I spoke so beautifully and wonderfully to the young lady behind the check-in desk that she gave me a seat with extra leg room and so I texted Chloe straight after so she could celebrate in my joy as I said, you know, I still haven't lost my old charm to which her response was something along the lines, no, she just felt sorry for an old man. So... <laughs> But there was, there was a groaning inside of me as I sat there trying to sleep, as I travelled home. I'm waiting to get home. And in a sense, that's a, that's a, a poor or a weak illustration. But, but as we walk through this life, we're walking through this life knowing there is something better to come. There is a future hope of glory that we will all receive. There is a groaning in creation, which Paul personifies. He sort of gives voice to it. He says, creation has been subjected to frustration by the will of God. When, when Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world, it didn't just affect you and me, it affected creation itself. It was marred. It became broken. And when you have a look around, you watch the news, you see what's going on. You can see things like the oceans 
filling up with plastic and massive rubbish dumps in sort of third world countries where, where the West has sort of poured in uh, their rubbish or you see the ozone layer thinning or global warming or those sorts of things and you, you realise there's something of the world wearing out. It's, 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 it's not working as it was designed to work and, and it's good and it's right that we're good stewards. I think as as followers of Jesus, we should be good stewards of this world and we should do what we can to protect and uh, uh, sustain and do those sorts of things. But, but actually, the ultimate solution isn't something that we will do. The ultimate solution is when Jesus comes again and creation itself is renewed. When the sons of God are revealed and creation itself will be liberated from its slavery to decay into a glorious Freedom. So there is something we're waiting for in creation itself, groaning. John Stott says this, The universe is not going to be destroyed, but rather liberated, transformed, and suffused with the glory of God. That sounds good, doesn't it? A new heavens and a new earth. One that we will be on, that we can enjoy. But there's also this groaning in us personally. You know, I've tasted the first fruits of the Spirit. I know something of being adopted as a child of God, but I haven't received it fully. And so there is a groaning within me. And the Apostle Paul actually uses the illustration of childbirth to sort of communicate something of what it's like. Now, I've never had a baby. I have witnessed three arriving, as it were. But what I can tell is there is an immense amount of pain involved in it. Some say, and I wouldn't disagree, that it's the most painful thing that you can go through, but you're going through this, but you're waiting for something good to happen. The birth of a child. And then the pain changes slightly, from a physical to something else. But, but, but there is, and the Apostle Paul uses this illustration. He says, he says it's as though we've got this, this, these cries of childbirth. We are waiting for a fulfillment. We're waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for the full adoption as sons. We're waiting for new bodies that we will receive when Christ returns. There is a patient waiting for these things to come to fruition. There is a better hope. This is not the best that it will be. There, there is something better yet to come when Christ returns. This is not the best that we will enjoy. And I think it's important that we remember that as Christians within our Western culture because we can be so caught up in the here and now. But the better is yet to come. And so as we navigate through this life, which at times has difficulty and suffering within it, we do it knowing that there is a future glory when this pain, when this suffering will cease, when either Christ returns or we go to be with him. The second thing that gives us strength as we navigate our way through is the present work of the Spirit. It says this, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now there are some different opinions 
on how to interpret this passage. Before we get on to that, I just want to highlight something to you that I think is so important for us to see. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Before we work out as to what is this passage actually saying, there is this opening verse that is just so good to remember. If you are struggling, if you are suffering, if things are difficult at the moment, and you are a Christian, the Spirit is here to help you in your weakness. The Holy Spirit, He is here right now. He's not distant, He's not far off, He lives inside of you, and He is to help you, He is here to help you in your weakness. He does it in various ways. He reminds you of the love of God. He brings you strength and courage. He helps you to understand the Bible. He grows fruit of the Holy Spirit within you. He gives you spiritual gifts so that you can do the things God is calling you to do. He helps you in many, many ways. But in the way here in this passage that the Apostle Paul highlights is he helps us in prayer. He says that we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf. Have you ever been in that point in life where you don't know how to pray? Or you haven't wanted to pray? Or you've been so fed up that words don't, you don't want to? There's just something within you. I've been there on a couple of occasions. I've found my best prayer in that instance is a four-letter word, one word, help. I don't even say help God, I just say help. And I find that that little key of prayer unlocks a door of the grace of God as he comes and he floods in and he helps and he strengthens and he directs and he brings comfort. Sometimes we get to a point where we don't know how to pray. We don't know the content, we don't know the object of the prayer, it's unclear. Sometimes in suffering we don't know whether to pray for deliverance from the circumstances that we're in or strength to endure them and grace to endure them. We, we don't know how we ought to pray. But it says that the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us, intercedes on our behalf. And theologians vary on quite what is going on at this point. Some the theologians believe that the Holy Spirit is interceding in our hearts for us, but we are unaware of it. A bit like Jesus sat on his throne, we're going to get there in a minute, who's interceding for us. Now, we have no experience of that interceding, but we know it's happening, and it brings us a joy and a comfort and a strength because we know that Jesus is interceding for us. And in, in a similar way, maybe the Holy Spirit is interceding in our hearts, although it's imperceptible to us that it is going on. That is one understanding of what's going on. The other one, and another group of theologians believe it's this, is that the Holy Spirit um, is coming alongside and helping us as we pray as well. So he is interceding, but he is fueling our prayers. He is helping us to pray in the Spirit on all different times and occasions. He comes alongside. Now, it may be the gift of heavenly languages, the gift of tongues. Again, that is up for debate uh, sort of theologically. But, but whether it's that or praying in English or that cry of help, we know we've got the Holy Spirit who comes and he teaches us to pray and he helps us to pray when we need it. Now, 
my personal thoughts are, as I've read and studied, I think it's the second one. I think that the Holy Spirit comes and helps us. He, he may well pray for us in ways that we don't know anything about, but I think as well he comes alongside. He strengthens us. And if you remember that when we pray in tongues personally, what does it do? It strengthens us. It edifies us. That's one of the uh, outworkings of praying in tongues. Fillmore says this, Paul's main point is that we need the Holy Spirit to come alongside us to enable us to pray in a manner which releases our experience of salvation. We have a future hope. It is our destination point. It's what brings us confidence for the journey. We have the present working of the Spirit who comes alongside and brings strength step by step by step who doesn't leave us to try and find our own way, but helps us to navigate through this life of difficulty and pain. And lastly, we find here the past acts of God in Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to look at one of the most popular verses of the Bible. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who have been called according to his purpose... For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. As I said, this verse at the very beginning is probably one of the most popular. Um, can also at times be misunderstood. It's one of those verses where if we're not careful, we can take it and use it in a way that the Apostle Paul never meant for it to be used. And what I want to do is I want to just take three words out of this verse, just bring some understanding to it, because it will help us to use this verse well um, as we uh, come to God through it. The first thing is that this verse is a conditional promise. It talks about for those who love God. So it's for those who have a love for God, he promises all, all things will work together for good. This is not just some warm, woolly feeling, oh, I feel like I love God this morning. I'm feeling positive, so I'm happy, so I'm sort of loving God, but when my emotions dip down, my love for God wanes, or maybe I love God because my circumstances are going well. But this is a hard-nosed decision that definitely can have feelings that follow on from it, a decision, I love God. God. I've made a decision. I'm a follower of Jesus and I love him. And Jesus comes with quite a clear challenge to us in John 15 verse 15 where he says, look, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so if you are here today and you say you would confess in your mouth, no, no, I love Jesus, but you are living in, in a way that deliberately is going against what God says is right, I think you're on shaky ground. Because our love for God and our obedience to his commandments go together. You, you can't separate them. I mean, all of us make mistakes. All of us get things wrong. First, I put my hand up, but, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a lifestyle choice that you know is contrary to the one God would choose for you. You're on shaky ground. Come back to him. Get things right. I mean, it may even be the case that if you're living in deliberate disobedience, that, you know, even, even come back, are you really following Jesus? Are, are you a Christian? Or have you just put a bit of religion 
on the side of your life. So the first thing, if you love God. The second thing is this, and this is, um, this is, this is really hard. You see, this, this verse says, all things work together for good for those who love him. And if you're going through really difficult trials, difficulties at the moment, suffering, it might be sickness, it might be bereavement, it might be mental health issues, it, it could be any one of a number of things. This is really hard to weave into life. This, this is hard to grasp. And the Apostle Paul is not just saying this glibly. He's not saying, oh, the problems you're facing really aren't that serious. They're just small things. They're not really problems. He's not trying to, trying to lower what your problems are. What he's, what he's saying is this. He's saying that there is a faith realisation that even when circumstances are horrible, God is still at work. This, this verse is saying that even when circumstances are really horrible, God is still at work. In actual fact, he goes further and he says, and there is nothing in this world that God cannot use to assist us as we walk through this life. And he brings us safely and securely to our glorious destination. For some, it's really hard, as you're even battling now, thinking these circumstances, God is using them. It's not to belittle the circumstances. But it's to hone our faith, our trust in our Father in heaven who loves us and is for us and will not let us go. And then the last, last word I just want to pull out of this very familiar passage to us is this. He says, and he will work all things together for good. If I was to say to you, what does a good life look like? I wonder what sort of words you would bring, you know, shout out. I wonder what I would come up with. I think within our culture, the sort of words that often come up, three words, would be wealth, health, and comfort. That if my life is going to be better next year, I'm going to be a little bit wealthier, I'll be a bit healthier, and I'll be more comfortable and I won't face so many difficulties. I know it might just be me, but I think within our culture, within society, and it can definitely come into church culture, that could be our perspective. But I think if you look at the Bible, you don't find those three words when it comes to uh, uh, God producing good in our lives. Here's three words that that maybe aren't so popular, but I think God can use in the difficulty of life. Faith, love, and hope. And that God can use difficult circumstances to strengthen our faith, grow our love, and bring hope, which is the bedrock for every believer's life. So when we use, and when we rely on this verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. It's so important that we understand what the Apostle Paul had in mind. For those of us that are loving and following Jesus, in every difficult, good circumstance, 
God promises to work it for good, for a growing faith, a growing hope, and a growing love. And you may be here saying, well, how, Paul, can you be so confident on that? How can you know that that is true? Well, if we look back at what God has done, this is what builds our confidence that he will carry us through to the end. And we come here to an incredible wonderful chain of salvation or another picture you could illustrate is you look back over your shoulder at your life and you look at these incredible peaks of salvation and you go wow God's carried me through these wow how I can be confident God will carry me to future glory and each of these peaks has got a different name to it and I'm going to briefly rattle my way through because the apostle Paul does it and it's good that we understand these words even if they are a bit religious they are a bit technical but they're the bedrock on which we cast our hope the first one is this long before you ever existed long before your parents ever thought of you God foreknew you It's not just that he knew about you. It's not just that he knew the colour of your hair and the colour of your eyes, although he did know that. But he knew you. And that what is wrapped into this statement is a loving, relational thing. It's absolutely mad. It's not like you lot over here are like a bit of a job lot into the kingdom of heaven. All of us were picked out, but you are a job lot. We needed a few more Christians in Hastings in 2019, so we best saved a lot of you guys into the church. Every single one of us was foreknown by God. God foreknew us. He he, he knew the colour of your hair, the colour of your eyes. He knew the personalities that you'd have. I know I'm making you feel really awkward. Apologies for that. But but he knew everything about you. He knew what exams you were going to take. He knew the things that you would enjoy doing. He knew it all. And he knew it before the foundation of the world. And that is the same for every single one of us who's a Christian. So you're thinking, how can I be confident for the future? Well, in eternity past, God knew you. How cool is that? How brilliant. Veronica, I know you're so familiar with this stuff, but God knew you. Wrapped in love, care, concern, relationship, Secondly, this foreknowing went on to a predestining, a preordaining, a pre-choosing by God. God picked you out, he pulled you out. And the first link in the chain, the foreknowing, is linked to the second link in the chain, which is predestining. You, you, you were pre-chosen by God. There was a point when you put your hand up and you said, Jesus, I choose you, but it's only because he first chose you. Any, any response within your heart was triggered by God's first choosing of you. That's why, as we're facing difficulty and trouble, I realise that God's always been working in my life. He had a plan way before I was born. He picked me out. He chose me. Thirdly, he called you. And this is an effectual call. It's not like me when I call up to my boys at evening meal time and I say, boys, it's dinner time. Nothing. Not a movement, not a sound, no nothing. But when the Father called you by the work of the Spirit, it was effectual. He he revealed your sin. He brought life to your inner being. He changed your will so you were willing to respond. There was a power to it. He created life within you in that moment you were born again it was a work of God a divine summons which raises the spiritually dead to life that's what happened when you were called 
this divine summons. It's wonderful because as I'm facing difficulty and trouble and suffering and I'm thinking, I don't even know if I can get through today. I know God called me. He called me. Those he called, he also justified. He declared you, you are not only not sinners, but you are righteous in God's sight. In a moment, in a moment declared right before the living God. And if God has declared you right, wow. And then lastly, he moves on to this fifth link in the chain, which is those he justified, he also Now, this is a very bad sign. I mean, I know I'm near the end of the preach. But those he justified, he also? He glorified. Now, that's odd because I haven't been glorified yet. And nor have you. And if you have, I'm a bit worried because I'll be a bit disappointed. (laughs) We We haven't been glorified yet, but the Apostle Paul puts it in past tense because he said if the first four things have happened, the fifth one, that you will be glorified, is dead set, secure, cast iron, guaranteed, insurance back. It will happen. You will go to be with him. You will be given new bodies. You will receive full adoption as children of God. It is certain. You will be glorified. And that is our hope. That is what we rely on. That is what we lean into. And so as we look to navigate our way through life at this time, we see a future glory, a future hope that is to come. We experience something of the present work of the Spirit sustaining us, leading us, guiding us. We look over our shoulders and so we see these five wonderful peaks of salvation that he foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us and he's going to glorify us. And we know they're all certain and we think, wow, if you've already done that, Lord God, well, this is horrible. It is awful. I know you will not let me go. And then the Apostle Paul finishes with this glorious, wonderful flourish and we're just going to read these words together um, as we close up as we finish what then shall we say to these things if, if all of this is true where does it lead us to well if God is for us who can be against you there's a there's a logical thing to it if God if God is for me I could be facing real opposition real difficulty real sickness but God is in my camp God is in my corner. He will not let me go. Who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given his son. What confidence I can have as I come in prayer. Knowing he knows what I need before I ask him for it. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Are you God's elect here today? Who can bring a charge against you? It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised to life, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for you. Right now, before you ever woke up this morning, Jesus Christ is sat on his throne and he's praying for you. Wow. What an encouragement to get up early and pray. Why not join with Jesus praying about yourself? He's he's on his throne interceding. Interceding for us, for you. What a joy. 
Who should separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Can anyone? Can anything? Paul's good. You're there. Should tribulation, distress or persecution? Should famine or nakedness, danger or sword? And the Apostle Paul would have been facing a whole number of these things. This isn't just a theoretical thing. This is an experiential thing. He's, he's living this stuff out himself. And then I think this next verse is actually a reflection of what he's going through. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, that's the apostles. That's, that's what they were going through. No, 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 no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, God will give us the grace to faithfully endure, but actually to conquer, to come through, to come out the other side. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor the things present nor the things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul was convinced. The question is, are we? And we can be convinced as a preaching point. We can be convinced up here. What was it, the 12 inches? The foot between here and here is a real long distance. For I am convinced. And with every new circumstance, with every new trial... We need to take this truth and reapply it to ourselves. The fact that you've believed it in one set of situations does not mean that automatically when you face a new set of situations that you will be able to live in the good of it. No, there's a daily, sometimes a moment by moment, applying it to our lives as we choose to believe what God has done for us. We're going to finish just by praying together. So why don't you uh, uh, join me by standing on your feet and let me pray for the grace of God just to come afresh upon us. Lord, I thank you for the wonder of your salvation and the wonder of the truth contained within your word. Lord, I, I ask you, Lord God, that it will live in our hearts in a deeper and deeper and deeper way. Lord, I pray the future hope of glory, Lord, will not be something that we leave right out sort of on a limb that we hardly think about, but I pray more and more Lord God, we will contemplate, we will allow our imaginations shaped by your word uh, to energise us as we think of what we've got to come to in the future. That future hope of glory, new bodies, full adoption. I pray, Holy Spirit, would we know your intimate walking alongside us in a new way, even on the back of this morning. I pray particularly for those who are suffering right now, that they will clo know the closeness and intimacy of you, Holy Spirit being their strength, being their comforter, being their help. Pray, come Holy Spirit, we ask. And I pray too, Lord God, as we look at the wonderful salvation we've already received, I do pray it will give us strength. It will help us day by day by day. We ask for fresh outpouring of your grace and your mercy to come.
particularly for those who are really going through it at the moment. Just if you're in that position, you just feel you are really going through it at the moment. Just It's a bold thing, but if you just feel comfortable, just to raise your hands, if you are. I just want to pray for every single person who's got a hand raised right now, that they will know your grace and your love just invading their situation, their circumstances, I pray in Jesus' name. Bring you hope and life, we ask. Thank you, Father, that you love us and you're for us. Amen. We're going to finish it up there. I'll just hand over to Paul, um, but I think we're, we're done.